I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to this week's Failed Critics Podcast. I'm Steve Norton. I'm joined by Owen Hughes. Hello. And Brian Plank. Good evening. As we talk about some films, um, most notably this week, uh, a review of the new King Arthur film starring Jude Law and Charlie Hunnam. Is it Hunnam? Yeah, Hunnam. And we've also got Colossal, which I believe... Uh, I mean, I enjoy King Arthur. We'll talk about it more in depth later, but it sounds like, Brian, you watched Colossal and it's, what, your favourite film of the year? Yeah, pretty much. I'll keep my photo dry, but yeah. Mm, so, two new releases this week. Yes, so uh, all that to look forward to. Um, you seem like you, you can't wait. You seem yeah, like you're just well, gagging to... King, King Arthur looked terrible to me, but you kind of said it isn't quite, so um, maybe um, your opinion will... will persuade me to go and watch it mm, well i don't know if we'll go that far but we'll yeah we'll talk about it a bit later obviously okay uh but we're going to start off with the quiz where i'm winning two nil and a win for me means owen will have to watch something that i choose for him and uh obviously uh, a loss for me means that owen will end up postponing his inevitable demise for another week Mm-hmm. The quiz is going to take the same format as last week, just five questions this time though, but it is multiple choice, Owen versus Brian, and if you uh, get a question wrong, you then lose all your points you have accumulated so far. So the first question is, Liam Garrigan is playing King Arthur in the latest Transformers movie out later this year. Um Yes, King Arthur is going to be in a Transformers movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what TV show does he also play that role in? Does he play in Game of Thrones, Once Upon a Time, or The Pillars of the Earth? No idea. I guess Once Upon a Time? Sounds vaguely like it would be a thing. I wouldn't know Liam Garrigan if I walked into him. <laughs> Pretty sure it's not Game of Thrones, and I'll go Pillars of the Earth. It is Once Upon a Time, so Brian, yeah. you can't actually lose any points because you didn't have any to start with. Mm-hmm. Um, but oh, oh is. Owen is winning 1-0. Um, the second question. In what uh, in what film did Charlie Hunnam affect a really bad Cockney accent? Was it Green Street, Goal or Football Factory? I feel like if he was in Football Factory, I would have known that. I think it's probably Green Street. I'm going Green Street. You're both correct. It's Green Street and it is it's now 2-1 to Owen. Uh, in a, a 2004 version of King Arthur, who played King Arthur? Was it Jude Law, Liam Neeson, or Clive Owen? I know this one, so I'm going to let Brian go first. I know this one too. Uh, it wasn't actually bad. It was Clive Owen. Ray Winston was moderately amusing in it, which was a novelty. I like Ray Winston. I don't I particularly think... like Clive Owen. I just don't. I, I avoided that King Arthur film because I just thought it looked awful. I saw the trailer for it again today, doing a bit of research, and like. It just that does not sell the film well. People complain about the trailer for Guy Ritchie's King Arthur, but that one is just appalling. I think the only Clive Owen film I've sat down and watched was Shoot 'Em Up, and my then girlfriend lasted a whole forty seconds of it. Mm. Where the first time someone gets stabbed and throws the carrot, they went, "No, have you seen Shoot 'Em Up?" Nope. No. It's it is the entire idea is it's what if you made a uh, a gangster shooting film, but using Looney Tunes rules. <laughs> right. So he stabs someone and throws the carrot in the first minute. Someone gets shot with a, a big gun at point blank range. 
and there's a huge hole in them and you can see spine and lungs tucking in and out. It's the strangest film. It's mm. fun. And if you have got the time, just go to see the skydiving sequence, which I have to see it to believe it. Okay. Um, the next question, then, with it now being 3-2 uh, to Owen, which of the following has pay, played King Arthur on the big screen? Richard Gere, Sean Connery, or Ben Kingsley? Uh, Sean Connery? Uh, yes, because Richard Gere was the guy who shagged Sean Connery's wife. Was it first night? Uh, it was indeed. You're both right, it's Sean Connery. Uh, Richard Gere played Lance a lot in, in the same film, and Ben Kingsley uh, in another film was Merlin. Ah. Yeah, of uh, course. <laughs> uh, it's 4-3 uh, four, four, to Owen now, going into the final question. Still all to play for. Uh, the Disney uh, animated Sword in the Stone came out in which year? 1963, 64 or 65? If we both guess wrong... It's 0-0 it's and it goes to a tie-break. Mm. I'm going 64. I had a feeling it was earlier than that, but I'm going to say the same, 64. You've both lost all your points. <laughs> it was 1963. Oh, uh, you... <laughs> did you just actually bang a table? Did you did. just assault some Smash the teacup. Threw my pencil at the table in anger. Whoa. So I like to go. I like to go with nearest nearest to the pin kind of questions for the tie break. Um, when when I do them, I remember to do them, Owen. Um, mm-hmm. So um, once, just once. That's all that. Uh, you know, Matt Lamborn only only listened to Spoiler Alert once. We never leave that alone. So, mm-hmm. you know, so a lot has been made that David Beckham has a, a speaking role in this King Arthur Legend of the Sword film. But the question is, how many caps did he get for the England national team? 115. 106. Brian, despite his accent, was spot on. It's 115. <laughs> yes. So, Owen, you, you, you have lost. Um, and I'm going to give you a bit of free reign over what you can choose because it might be hard to, to pin one down that you can watch. Um, it's just good. an Emmanuel film. Yeah, isn't it? any that you can find. <laughs> any single one that you can find anywhere, you have to watch one of them. Prefer, prefer, preferably in space, but whichever you can find. Right. Okay. I you can you can watch it with your partner if you like. I I don't mind. That's up <laughs> to you. That's up to you right. how how you choose to watch it. But you have to watch one of them. Yeah. Okay. It's up to me how I choose to watch it. Can I watch it with my eyes closed and my fingers in my ears? Uh, no. <laughs> Fine. That, that doesn't count as watching it, quite okay. frankly. Your fingers don't have to be in your ears, but your hands do have to be on the table or out of pockets. Uh, so, yeah, good luck with that. I can't wait for that next week. Uh, should we move on to the news? <laughs> Quickly, yes. Well, there's only really one, one bit of news that we want to talk about, and that is Tom Hardy's been cast in Venom in the first of the uh, Spider-Man universe spin-off films. Is that mm-hmm. the right thing to call them? Yeah, well, it's it's still owned by Sony. It's um, it's their property, but they've given Venom a standalone movie. But, I Ven- guess hope- but Venom won't be allowed to appear in the MCU. No. Just, just Spider-Man. But obviously, Spider-Man, who can appear in the MCU, could also appear in... Uh, Venom and any of the spin-off movies that but, they but Venom can't chase him into an Avengers movie no. can't like run over and no. no this is because of all the complexities of the Comic ownership of all the different characters yeah 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 which were even more confusing when Sony loaned Spider-Man to Marvel well to yeah. Disney Marvel yeah I guess what one of the questions it does raise is can Tom Hardy play a character in the MCU not necessarily Venom. Could he be cast in two well, different roles? Unless because... he unless he signs an exclusive deal with a studio, yes, he can. So can he be cast in two different roles, like Chris Evans was? That's a good point. But the, like Chris Evans didn't appear as Johnny, whatever his name is. The uh, forgotten the character. Human name. Torch, Johnny Storm, Human Torch. Yes, Johnny, Human Johnny Torch. Fireboy. <laughs> Johnny Fireboy. Could because he, he didn't appear as Johnny Fireboy in Fantastic Four and in the MCU. No. It, those those two worlds never crossed over. I mean, mm-hmm. you know. Whereas, whereas obviously, if Spider Man appears in Venom, then there is the crossover. Yeah, well, Tom Hollander will be involved, as you would expect, because I guess that this is how Sony are planning to make 
most of their money back by having Spider-Man. Because th- part of the money that goes from Spider-Man will also go to Marvel, right? Because they've got um, uh, Tony Stark in it. Tony Stark's in the new Spider-Man film. Yeah. So there's, all, there's the crossover coming backwards, you know. They're making money off of each other. I don't know how it works with... with I just I, don't, I haven't read into it enough of... I don't know if anyone knows exactly how it's going to work. A, a lot of the Marvel Fox and Marvel Sony deals are very complicated and someone's had to sit down and say, this character's a mutant, mutants go to Fox, this character's a mutant, but also more of an Avenger, so Avengers go to Marvel. Yeah. It becomes well, yeah, the whole thing tremendously with, with, dull. With Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch, because they're... Magneto's children in in the original source material, but they're now in Avengers. Well, in in Marvel, who can't mention mutants, so they're now yeah. They're, but they're Quicksilver miracles. is in Quicksilver's in uh, the X Men movies as yes. well as a mutant, but he's a miracle yes. in Avengers. Mm-hmm. <sighs> the annoying thing is that the the studios have to keep making these films, or else they lose the rights to them, and it reverts back to Marvel. So you just get a load of crap. Um, where it would be sort of easier if just everyone gave them back to Marvel when they could do what they want with them. Easier, but Sony wouldn't get giant tons of money. Well, no, but Sony have come up with a good middle ground for it, haven't they, in terms of letting Marvel use Spider-Man because then, in a way, it might help them uh, get some people into watching Spider-Man who may not have done based on what the last few movies have done. It's also Marvel's best interest to not have them screw up one of their properties. Mm-hmm. No, but I mean, would how would Marvel cope if they still had or they managed to get back the rights to the X Men and the Fantastic Four, and just added those into their stable of characters? Would they bother to include them? I imagine they would, they would they, just would they, would they put them in the same. Everything. No, they'd, they'd ignore everything. That's but would you know? Would they would they introduce them into that same universe? How do they deal with that many characters? Considering that they're planning up to I think a decade in advance. Mm-hmm. I think they wouldn't be that fast. They say no. We are going here, here, and here. It's not like uh, Warner Brothers where they go. Shit, let's just do a thing. <laughs> what would happen if? Hmm. Yeah. So Von- Venom will be directed by Ruben Fleischer, who's the guy who did Gangsterland and uh, Gangsterland, Gangster Squad, and Zombieland. So, but it's due for release in October 2018, which. I thought sounded quite soon, it still seems but quite apparently soon. it was due out before that, and it's been moved back. Which, you know, you'd have to move it back if you only just cast someone. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Someone They're... was saying that there's a lot of Tom Hardy's been cast in things that don't really pan out, suggesting that he gets a message. He goes, "Yeah, yeah, do that." Then his agent says, "Don't do that, Tom." <laughs> oh, sorry, we really can't star in you know, whatever. I think it's it's kind of interesting casting. Uh, I I, th- I would have thought Tom Hardy would be a little bit too old to appear in uh, as Venom. No, I would have thought they'd go for someone a bit younger. Un- unless this is one of these oh films like Logan have proved that people can take old heroes, so we'll have an old person. Yeah, I mean we're all used to things skewing much, much, much younger. Whereas it depends what you want to do with Venom. They're almost certainly going to go for. Uh, a gory, grisly style to have it. Not like R-rated and it'll be gobbling people up and shooting things. Do you reckon? Yeah. Do you think they'll, they'll go that way? Yep. Hmm. I would put well. metaphorical money on it. Time now for what we've been watching where we have a look at some of the films we've seen this week that weren't new releases in the cinema. Uh, Brian, won't you start us off with what you have cast your eyes over? I watched Sicario because I wanted to see it when it came out in the cinema and never got around to it. And I thought, if I'm going to be on the pod, I want to talk about the thing I'm interested in. Load the folks, oh yeah, Sicario's really good. It got really strong reviews. And so my pals went, mm, it's all right, I guess. And my review is, mm, it's all right, I guess. <laughs> it felt like writers had gone to a producer and said, I've got a film about uh, a woman cop who gets involved in uh, drugs busts. 
And someone said, I've got a film about someone who's a, a Mexican hitman who goes after drug lords. And the studio say, well, we can't make both of them. So why don't we just mash them together? Because it's not really a film about Emily Blunt's character. She is incidental in it. She comes in, people point out, tell her to do stuff. She gets shuffled around and then leaves. It, it's a film about Benicio Del Toro's character, the, the hitman, the, the Sicario of the title. And it was a bit strange to watch this story where the main character isn't involved in it. That's not to say it was bad. There's bits that are really good. Um, the, when she goes over the border into Mexico and she's in Juarez for this um, pickup of this drug lord, it's very tense. I was watching it feeling a little bit queasy, like, what's, we know it's going to happen, it's going to be bad, but how bad and when's it going to be? And it keeps that tension going, going very well for a long time until it blows up. There are some smart bits of camera work in terms of bits that are shot with a night vision camera or some other sort I, I'm not a black ops sort of man, but there's there's bits shot in a, in cameras for using at night, and there's bits that are over the shoulders that make you feel like you are really in the middle of this, but it's not like born where you're in the middle of it and it's obscure because it's quick and cutting around. It's you're in the middle and you can see what's happening. So it's two odd stories mashed together, to- not told very well, but a shot and. Um, directed quite well, I guess. It's all right. I'm not really in the mood for a sequel. Mm, well, apparently there were going to be a, there were going to be a few of them. Uh, I mean, I would watch them, more of them, like you said about Benicio del Toro's character. In fact, I think, uh, uh, perhaps not remembering it correctly, but wasn't he? Didn't he have loads more scenes, and they just cut them all out in the edit? I, I think he was I haven't seen the edit, but he. I really think someone wanted to make a film about his character and was told mm. Emily Blunt is the name at the top of the marquee. Get rid of him, mm. put more of her in. Yeah, I mean, it definitely felt like that. But, I mean, I kind of liked it, but I also agree in that some people just went mad for it, and I didn't quite get why at the time. I still don't, really. It was, it, it, it was good, but it wasn't great. Mm. It, was, it was, you know, a good, quite gritty... Uh, you know, involved or involving mm-hmm. kind of cop, cop gangster, not gangster is in, you know, but, you know, cop crime or drug dealing mm-hmm. film, but it was not great. Like if you were to have to name the top five films in that genre or whatever genre you might think it comes in, you wouldn't name Sicario. I, I, I felt that because the, the lead character didn't know what was going on and you didn't know what was going on. You just had to watch and go, okay, this is happening. There weren't clues as to how it's all going to pan out. You don't have a story thread to follow through. It's just, we'll tell you when you get there. Mm-hmm. And then you're there and you say, what are we doing now? Oh, don't worry. We'll sort it out. So I, I don't know if the audience were meant to be as disconcerted and confused as Emily Blunt's character or what, but I felt not particularly invested because I didn't know what the end game of this was. Mm-hmm. How can we tell that we're winning? Are we winning? I don't know. That was a de- deliberate ambiguity, though, I think. I mean, I got the impression that was deliberate, that you, you, were, meant to be at, you were meant to be disoriented by it, like Emily Blood. Like, you think you're on top of stuff, but you're not. I just felt you... disengaged by it. Uh, well, yeah, I guess that's just a side effect of trying to tell a story like that if it's not... I mean, it, it's all subjective and everything anyway, but I I kind of... Lo- I was engaged by it because of the visuals, really, that you mentioned, you know. I thought it was shot very well. Um, but, yeah, didn't didn't do too much for me. In the same way, though, like Denis Villeneuve's other films, I, I kind of think he's a little bit flavour of the months because of Arrival, really, you know, which came out last year, which was good. Um, 
But I, again, I thought that was a bit overrated. But I liked Prisoners. Prisoners was good, but not amazing. And then Blade Runner, I've just got very little time for. I'm not expecting a huge amount from Blade Runner 2049, I think it's called, the new one, um, which is also directing. But it, it just seems to be the director that people love to talk about lately. When's Blade Runner coming out? Uh, is it October, I think? I, I don't need to see any more of Blade Runner. Everything that Blade Runner had to say was said in the first film. Pretty much. Let's get it done while Harrison Ford's still alive. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay, Owen, what have you seen this week? I was finally able to watch Mindhorn this week, um, which was written by uh, and starred Julian Barrett and Simon Farnaby. Uh, that's Julian Barrett, who uh, is probably best known as Howard Moon in The Mighty Boosh. and was also in uh, Nathan Barley, and uh, he was in the underrated uh, Channel 4 dramedy, Flowers, which came out last year, which I quite enjoyed um, and enjoyed him in. And Simon Farnaby, who I guess will be mostly known for Horrible Histories, um, but he was also more recently in uh, The Sky Atlantic TV show, sort of Jim Henson-esque comedy show, Yonderland, which was quite good. Um, Neither uh, Barrett nor Farnaby have a particularly impressive list of feature films to their name, though if you look on their IMDb profiles, I think the most notable one for Julian Barrett was that he was briefly in the uh, excellent A Field in England. Um, That said, I do pretty much like everything that I've watched them both in. And Farnaby in particular is just a really great character actor uh, as you sort of get to see in stuff like Yonderland. And he really gets to show that off here in Mindhorn as well because he has quite a funny, exaggerated character and just is the funniest thing in it, I think. Uh, But anyway, so Tony reviewed Mindhorn when it was released a couple of weeks back. So I don't want to go over too much old ground, but the um, story revolves around Julian Barrett as an aging actor called Richard Thorncroft, who prior to trying to make it as a movie star, uh, he played a TV detective on the Isle of Man in the 1980s, who was called Mindhorn. Hey, that's the name of the film. Uh, His... Character had a cybernetic eye that could see the truth. Um, so yeah, but he's called back to the Isle of Man now in the present day when there's a murderer who tells the police he will only talk to Mindhorn, or more people will die. So Mindhorn, uh, so well, sorry, Richard Thorncroft. He, uh, in order to gain a bit of publicity and sort of increase his profile, so he can start doing adverts for like socks and stuff like that, he agrees to help out. But basically, it just becomes like a tragic. St- well, it's a funny story, but it's kind of also a little bit tragic, tinged with tragedy about the stuff that people leave behind when they try to move on. And uh, in terms of like the fictional character of Mindhorn, it's sort of about the wake that's left when something like that is like ripped from everyone's life. So all the cast and the crew, um, you know, some become better off than others. Like you've got Steve Coogan's character, who's the smarmy Peter Easterman. And he had a character in the show, Mindhorn, that earned a spin-off series. And that spin-off series eclipsed the success of the original show. So again, that's something else that's just piled on top of Thorncroft. Uh, and Coogan, of course, is really good. It's not a huge part that he gets to play. Um, but, you know, he's such a good actor, I think, Steve Coogan. And he's, he's not too far out of his comfort zone playing a smarmy twat. But uh, he just nails the role. And he has a particularly funny scene as well in the film. Uh, also, speaking of the support cast, you've got Essie Davis, uh, which is a bit of a coop, I think, for what is essentially just like a little British comedy flick. Uh, she's the, if you don't know her by name, she's the mum from The Babadook. Right. Um, and she's in The Slap, and she was in Assassin's Creed and Game of Thrones and stuff. So she's got a little bit of pedigree that she brings to the film. Uh, and she is also quite good as the, she plays a journalist who was also the former lover and co-star of Thorncroft, um, who, who was like abandoned by Thorncroft's like egotistical pursuit of fame and glory. So again, it comes back to like the, the stuff that's been left, the legacy that was left by this character that he had on everyone's life. Um, but all of this is kind of skirting around the issue here, which is that 
it's a comedy film. So I guess the most important thing that people want to know is, like, is it funny? And if I had to give like a one word answer, it'd be yes. But, but I don't have to give a one word answer. So I can say that uh, it is funny, but it's not. Um, I mean, don't go into it expecting to have your face ache from laughing so much. Because there are lots of laughs, and I think it's a very clever film, perhaps more clever than it looks on the surface, but there's like only one scene in it, perhaps two scenes maybe, that had me properly laughing for a while. Um, and, you know, there were jokes, most of them work. As I said, Simon Farnaby's just hilarious. Uh, whenever he's on screen, he plays the Dutch stuntman who was a stand-in for Mind Horn. But it's it's not like a laugh until it hurts kind of comedy in the way that uh, Alpha Papa was, what Alpha Papa was for me, you know, to use Tony's analogy from the other week, um, because they're both about these sort of tragic characters, really, who have a flirtation with success. So, yeah, so, I mean, it'll probably be made to, uh, available to rent or buy in about six months, I reckon. Uh, and I'd recommend it tentatively. I'd probably describe it as an amusing comedy. It'll either be the kind of film that someone will rate 7 out of 10 or someone will rate 3 out of 10. Because, like, depending on your sense of humour, it's not amazing, but it's not awful. So, yeah. It's a it's a bit better than decent, I would say. But I'm, you know, just glad I finally got to see Mind Torn all the same. I quite enjoyed it. A bit better than decent. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Okay, this week I took the chance to re-watch a couple of... Uh, DC comic book movies with Wonder Woman being out soon. Uh, so I mm-hmm. watched Batman versus Superman and Suicide Squad as Suicide Squad was newly onto Sky Go uh, or Sky On Demand, whatever. Um, mm-hmm. As I start with Batman versus Superman, I, it's still really boring. And it's just, <laughs> right. it's, it's too long for what a start. What did you expect? I, I don't know. I thought maybe maybe my opinion will change. It was boring as shit a year ago. Maybe they fixed it in the time since then. Yeah, perhaps. It's I yeah. Uh, carry on. I will disagree afterwards, but you can <laughs> finish the review. So yeah, it was just incredibly boring and too long. Uh, just yeah, for a film that that in the title promises so much is Batman versus Superman. It's the two most iconic superheroes ever they are far more iconic than anything marvel comics has ever produced that's that's not a criticism of marvel comics because they do have obviously some good characters and good in big names and but batman is if if you asked if this was pointless and you were asking people to name superheroes batman and superman would be the first two out pretty much every person's mouth and it should it should be an interesting film uh, and at least exciting and with good action uh, and like fast paced exciting set pieces and it, it's not it's just too busy too much going on too much dialogue too much happening in the dark um, Lex Luthor's character seems completely pointless so does having Doomsday in there it just goes on for far too long um, and it's I think Ben Affleck's a very good Batman, though. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think he's really good as Batman and as Bruce Wayne. I think the the, the bit when um, at the start with with him as Bruce Wayne driving through the, the city when um, uh, Superman's yeah. fighting, so being... yeah, that's really good. That's a really good kind it, of action scene. It really it, is. I love that mm-hmm. bit. It, the rest yeah. of the film doesn't stand up to that early promise. No. It's sort of you go into it and you're thinking, well, it's got bad reviews, but not so good. But maybe I'm going to like this. This bit's really good, and Ben Affleck's really good as Batman. And then you get to that bit, and you're like, oh, the rest of the film's just, oh. I watched it in a, like, the first time I saw it was in a double bill at the cinema with Man of Steel. So you watch Man of Steel, it's on at like 10 o'clock or whatever that was. Yeah. And then Batman versus Superman comes on at midnight. And, you know, you're feeling a bit tired anyway because it's it's midnight and you've sat... Th- I mean, I like Man of Steel. I think Man of Steel is probably 
the best of the three DC films. But you know, it's quite it's a a bit of an exhausting watch, and you get to to Batman versus Superman, you think, okay, I'm really gonna like this. This opening scene is this is good, and then it sort of stutters after that. Um, I. I mean, you're right, it's too long. The ending is just, like, with Doomsday, everything with Doomsday is redundant. Um, it didn't need to do that. And the the actual proper ending with Superman was ridiculous. They basically wanted their cake and tried to eat it because they have no need to do that to Superman. It's not, you don't have to finish it like that. No. You don't you don't have to end his story that way. That was only to try and crowbar in some comic book stuff, because the the the, the main conflict is not with Batman and Superman, as the title kind of suggests. It's with it's with Superman and Luther. That's the point of the film. Yeah. Um, and to be honest, I the first time I saw it when I watched it at that midnight screening, I um didn't like Jesse Eisenberg as Luther. I just didn't get on with him at all. And then I did go back to the cinema to watch it when I was more awake for it. And um, I liked him more the second time. I just thought he was a good Luther in the wrong film. They just didn't really u- utilise him properly. No one was used well for anything because they put too much into the film. Like mm-hmm. Wonder Woman's in it for a tiny bit and also to promote upcoming films. They literally stopped Basically. the film in the middle to do trailers for Justice League. Mm-hmm. Where she's on the computer and checking all the footage. Yeah, there's no need for her to be doing that, but uh, Bruce Wayne yeah. could be doing that. Do you know what I would watch? I would love to see. You know the bit in the um, like the is like a dream sequence oh. where it's set in the dystopian future. Well, Batman's going it, around the desert in a massive leather jacket. Yeah, yeah. I think that would be quite. a a fun movie, a proper what if kind of Batman like. versus dehydration. No, that's the <laughs> I, I, oh, really? I, no, yeah. Batman works when he's like got booting in and towers and cities, not when you put him yeah. in the daylight just fighting a bunch of dudes. Well, it was like because it's more the like a Red Sun sort of storyline from the way that looked. And I yeah, think but that's Red Sun was good. I'd have faith, I think they could do but because I still think. Most of Batman versus Superman is good. The the I, bits involved Ben Affleck breaking someone's spine over a wooden crate, those were good. The other bits, not so good. Um, and then I watched Suicide Squad, which wasn't much better. But would you say it is better? Uh, yeah, maybe. Right. Uh, mm. Suicide Squad just struck me as them as DC responding to all the criticism of you're too dark, you're too boring, you're not fun enough, which is what um, people like about the Marvel films quite a bit. If, if you know, it mm-hmm. seems to be, they went, okay, well, you want, you want fun and you want, uh, you know, a bit, bit of comedy, a few jokes in it, uh, lighthearted and all that kind of thing. Here you go, here's Suicide Squad. And she's like, uh, is, is that what you've got to offer? Too tryhard. How much of that film was reshot and reshot after Deadpool came out? Yeah, because they don't, they literally don't know what to do. Yeah. Oh, it's so the we, fact that. Oh no! Wait, the, the cool kids are doing this. No, I'm going to be like this. They don't have an identity or a vision for the filmmakers. And as someone pointed out, it's got like three starts and two endings. Characters are introduced literally three times, and then the middle bit is just oh well. Well, I'm waving hands about. We'll do a thing. But it's got lots of like actors in it that I like in a lot. You know, I like Will Smith. I like Jared Leto. But in here, it's just like, what is this? Like, it's basically the Margot Robbie movie, isn't it? And that's yeah, fine with me. I thought she was very uh, watchable. She she really went for that role, though. She really you know yeah. took it on and did something interest as much as she could do that was interesting with that character, with that script. Um, yeah, I'd agree with that. Mm, I thought it was... And, you know, Will Smith again, he, I mean, he was just Will Smith, but he was probably his, at his best for some time. 
in that kind of a role. Yeah. That that's a very very faint bit of praise. It's a bit of a backhanded backhanded compliment. At his best for a time in that sort of role. But I didn't watch Concussion. But what I mean is, like, if you think of stuff like um, After Earth and uh, Focus and all those kind of films where he has to be a bit more fun. Yeah. He he definitely had more of that going on in Suicide Squad. Yeah, that's. I mean, After Earth was bilge. Yeah, so I've I've spent some time watching some disappointing superhero movies. I'm no idea what line Wonder Woman's going to take. Guild reviews though. I fancy. Yeah, it. I think it could, it, I think it's going to be better than the two that I've just spoken about. But how good it'll be, I don't know. Did you like Man of Steel? Have you watched Man of Steel I or got any was, inclination I, to watch it? I again? thought it was okay, but I wouldn't watch it again in a hurry. I there were bits in it that were good, and and then they jettisoned them. Like the idea of young Clark becoming or discovering who he is and traveling mm-hmm. the world and that was interesting yeah having it the shittest dad ever that was less <laughs> interesting yeah so and you should just let which, those which, kids die which, which dad oh uh, the that... kevin costner you should let that bus yeah. full of kids die and then watch me die to rescue the dog which you could have saved but i'm gonna go yeah. do it oh and then the, the the smashy stuff at the end and I know that Man, uh, Batman mm. Superman was a reaction to, oh, folk didn't like me smashing stuff. Well, look, we've got a monument to them. Happy now. Oh. Yeah. yeah. I'm putting my fingers up to the microphone because I got fingers put up to me. Yeah, there was definitely a response of, you know, you thought the, the destruction was meaningless, hence that first scene in Batman versus Superman being so good because it, it dealt directly with that. Yeah. And, and, and then it was... Sneering was, oh, let's go fight in an abandoned island in the warehouse district. <laughs> Fuck off. But yeah, no, Man of Steel's good for all the Clark stuff. Like you said, I like the um, Jesus years where he's just wandering around and his gun missing. Everything as Clark as a drifter was really good. I liked how it was quite non-linear as well because you don't usually get that in these sort of films, you know, where it's it's not all told in one straight line from here's Clark as a kid Here's mm-hmm. Superman at the end, punching Zod. There's, it goes back and forth. Uh, and it, I genuinely think it looks quite good. You know, people give Scott Snyder a lot, uh, not Scott, Zack yeah. Snyder a lot of stick, but um, I, I, I'm still waiting for him to produce that one great film that I think he's got in him. I've seen uh, footage of Man of Steel where they've undone the colour correction. <laughs> oh, right. saying, Look, it's a blue sky. It's a yellow S. It's a red cape. Mm. Isn't this much more interesting? Is it? Of Mark. Mm, I don't know. But yeah, no. I, su- yeah, Suicide Squad's the bottom of the three for me. But you, you'd probably put Batman versus Superman there, Steve. Uh, yeah, I, I just, I wasn't that bored watching Suicide Squad. That's also going on the poster. Yeah, <laughs> and I shouldn't be bored watching a superhero film. Oh. Batman and Superman. Did Zack Snyder do Sucker Punch? Yeah. I, w- I was bored watching that. I yeah. do not understand that. how I can be bored watching a film that's got um, zombie Nazis and giant samurai robots and schoolgirl warriors. Yeah. But my God, it was just flashy, smashy. There's no stakes, yeah. nothing interesting. It was That was a, a lovely trailer and a terrible film. What we've been watching, that was Cario, Suicide Squad, Batman vs. Superman, and Mindhorn. Um, but now we are reviewing a couple of new films out this week, which is King Arthur, Legend of the Sword, and Colossal. Uh, Owen's going to start us off with uh, King Arthur, Legend of the Sword. Mm. I can say anything I like about this now, because, you know, as we gathered from the Twitter poll, people listen to the What We've Been Watching section most. Not many people like the new releases compared to what we've been watching. So oh, we've King Arthur, skip, 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 skip. I think it. I think. Exactly. I think that could be speaking on behalf of the listeners. Um, <laughs> it, it's, 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 the new releases are going to be reviewed everywhere. That you know. So for, for yeah, there's going to yeah. be every independent podcast at the same level as us reviewing new you know reviewing new releases, plus all the major news outlets magazines empire magazine the bbc all the different mm-hmm. newspapers 
uh, all the different film shows, everything. But the films that we review and what we've been watching, a lot of the time we'll review films that are what you might consider a hidden gem. Some hosts might have decided to use that as an opportunity to big up the new releases section. <laughs> you know, <laughs> whatever. I've not seen any, so I'm not I'm not talking in this bit, so no one's going to want to listen. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I did watch King Arthur, Legend of the Sword, which is Guy Ritchie's <laughs> King Arthur, Legend of the Sword. The first of six. But no. those six might not happen. Eh? No, they won't. It might just be no, the first of one. Yeah. <laughs> which I think is a little bit of a shame. What, you wanted, you wanted six more? Six is a bit excessive. I could have seen a trilogy. I could have, you know, quite happily gone to see two more okay. to see how this story continues. Um, because, I mean, it, it, the story, is, I mean, for people who've only seen the trailer, it is everything that it promises to be in that it's the, uh, the legend of King Arthur meets Snatch, right? That's how it's kind of selling itself. Does anybody get fed to pigs? No, nobody gets right, fed to pigs, impressive. unfortunately. There's no brick top um, and there's no uh, gypsy traveller boxing tournaments or anything like there that. There is but no Vinnie Jones, but there is a footballer. David Beckham. He makes a... D-Bex. D-Bex. He makes a small cameo. He gets to pick three lines. He's okay, actually. He's not bad. He's all right. Yeah, a small cameo that was... Hyped up in the trailer. Yeah, they put it in the trailer. Obviously, because so don't don't lead with that. Yeah. Really, don't. It's just stunt casting, really. Um, you know, they've put him in because of who he is, uh, and not because of any other reason. I mean, he, I don't know if he's put any money towards the film or something, but I mean, the, the, okay. So the, the the trailer went down terribly when that came out. Uh, I saw it the first time and thought, oh my god, what is this? It's just like a mix of two completely different things there's no there's no way this is going to work and i think most people's reaction to the trailer was was that um but the more i saw it the more it kind of grew on me and i thought actually guy Ritchie does king arthur could be quite fun i think that it gets a lot of stuff i mean i wasn't a huge fan of sherlock holmes but i did i mean it was okay i like yeah, yeah i like i thought they were, i thought they were good fun they i were, thought they were really good what fun. that kind of film needed to yeah, be yeah exactly and man from uncle as well which when i saw the trailer for that i thought this is going to be a bit crap mm. and watched it and thought this oh, is a lot of fun it's a bloody great film yeah. it's so much fun and i think i love it king arthur's had the similar kind of thing for me in that i it took a while for me to get used to the idea but then once i did i thought you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna go into this optimistically. I know all the reviews have been incredibly negative about it, um, but it, it actually surprised me. It was it was even better than perhaps I expected it to. I mean, the the, the thing is, it could have either have gone to one or two ways. It could have been it could have been the awful film that, on first glance, it looks like it probably is, or it could have been completely over the top and. You know, they are proper, like, Cockneys and, you know, Essex wide boys, and they, they talk in that estuary accent, and it, it it's all... It, it is everything that it purports to be from that trailer. But it's fine. That's good, in a way. You know, that's different, and it's, it's not like Game of Thrones, you know, with its proper st- sort of standard English and the, you know posh accents and all that kind of thing. It, it isn't that at all. It's, it is a, there's a term for some films, which is mud punk, right? Which is these sort of um, films which look really dirty and they are down in the dirt and the characters are all, they don't sort of, they're quite arrogant and they speak in this, uh, lots of violent language that they use and all that kind of stuff. And it isn't as dramatic as stuff like that, but it, it definitely has that essence to it. And I think, it works. Charlie Hunnam is, uh, he plays Arthur, King Arthur, and he is an arrogant and unlikable Cockney in this. He, there isn't any reason to I, like him. That's part of what did it for me reading about it, that mm. the young King Arthur runs with his crew on the streets of Londinium. Exactly that. That's what happens. And I was like, I was like, oh. what was the- Yeah. What? You don't think that sounds like it could be quite interesting? No, because 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 Lond- London, Londonium isn't 
part of the King Arthur legend, and it just sounds shit. It just sounds like, <laughs> oh, he was in Green Street. Let's, let's do a medieval bit like Green Street. But the King Arthur legend is not one thing anyway. Well, no, but it's, Londinium's never in it. Well, they could have set it in Wales, I suppose, but, you know, it's not crucial to the... It's just a take on the story. Yeah, but you, come on, you've got to admit, if you when you read that in a description about King Arthur, you might, you've got to think, really? Come on. It does sound a bit asylum. It does sound like... There you it go. sounds a bit like Danny Dyer playing Galahad. Danny Dyer would have fit right in with this cast. Oh, I'd have, I'd have <laughs> the hell out of that. It sounds like Guy Ritchie's really trying to mean, uh, to establish his working class street credentials. Yeah. Was it privately educated Guy Ritchie? Yeah. Yeah. Um, he's, he's a proper pucker bloke. Mm, I, was, I saw an interview with him. Um, I watched a bit of the Graham Norton show, which had him and Charlie Hunnam on it, because it's his first appearance on that. It was a bit cringe. I mean, he was talking about how after Lockstock and Two Smoking Barrels came out, he just had, like, London gangsters knocking on his door, turning up at his house. They'd find out where he lived, turned up and say, we want you to make a film about our life. Uh, and that's kind of continued. So you can see why he's tried to deviate from that in stuff like Sherlock Holmes and, um, you know... Cool. Yeah, Man from Uncle, and trying to, to break from that a little bit and trying to do a King Arthur legend is about as far away from that as he could have got. But then he just goes directly to those stereotypes, those sort of characters anyway. I guess it's because that's what he knows, you know. He's comfortable creating stories around those characters. So, um, the script has been written and rewritten a million times. I think it was jo- Joby Harold who wrote the screenplay for this, but... Uh, I was reading that actually Guy Ritchie also wrote some of it and was rewriting most of it. And it, you can tell. Did, be- did, did they not do that with Sherlock? Or Sherlock yeah. Two? Sherlock 2 was made up as they went along. All know? right, guys, what are going to do today? Yeah, turn up on set, filmed a bit, and then make up the next bit, film a bit, make up the next bit, film a bit. That's how Sherlock 2 went. But this has got more structure to it, at least. Um, and the story's fine. It is. It is just the author legend told from a different way you know he pulls the sword from the stone he you know there's the arrogant king who hates him and he has to overthrow the which is jude law of course jude law playing the bad evil guy um but again jude law's fine in this do you think do you think jude law's gonna gonna make a change now from being the kind of handsome uh like british nice chap to to British movie villain now. Um, yeah, I think most of his more interesting roles certainly come from when he tries something different. I mean, uh, Existence is probably my favourite film of his, uh, the Cronenberg film. And that in that, he's not playing a nice person. And it, it works. You know, you see him in stuff like uh, AI, even, when he tries something different and he's a weird, creepy robot. And he's good in that. Is he a goodie or a baddie in The Pope? And the young pope, good pope, the young pope. pope. I've no idea, but I <laughs> that doesn't that just look like the trailer from the beginning of uh, Tropic Thunder? Yes. Mm. Yeah. I, I've only seen the set photos of him, so it's just Jude Law in his pope outfit, yeah. having a cigarette, wearing sunglasses. I just, I mean, I'll give it the benefit of the doubt and see it. I think just to test it, but it doesn't fill me with confidence in the same way that King Arthur made me think this is going to be nuts. Um, so the the rest of the cast in it, uh, so his crew that he runs around London with. Uh, Londinium. Londinium, sorry, yeah. That's Kingsley Ben-Adir, who I hadn't seen in anything before, and Neil Maskell, who is from uh, the Channel 4 series Utopia, uh, also in lots of Ben Wheatley stuff. He was in, um, uh, fuck, what's the name of that film? Kill List. He was in Kill List. Uh, you know, he was in Hyena as well. I really like Neil Maskell. I think he's a very underrated actor. And it's nice to see him in a bigger film now. But also, another actor who's in this, who is also quite underrated, is Peter Ferdinando. Now, he, Peter Ferdinando was in A Field in England, which he's just incredible in. He, he was also in Hyena. But Peter Ferdinando was more recently the... Evil guy from Ghost in the Shell. Um, the corporate guy 
who's just bad for no reason. Uh, and he wasn't good in that. So I'm glad to see him have a little bit of a return to form in this. He's um, just a great screen presence, very watchable. Um, and plays the kind of foil to Jude Law um, and does it does it very well. So I was having a look at some of the criticisms of this film. One of the things I saw was that people said it was just boring. And I saw one review compare it to Tarzan from last year, which I just... Oh, that was bad. I, I can't make that connection in my mind between how have they come up with Tarzan unless it's purely because it's a retelling of a, an old legend. Tarzan was bad, though. Did you see Tarzan it? Tarzan was, yeah, Tarzan was. Oh. Hmm. It was dull. Um, whereas this, it, it's nothing like that. It, if people have got that in their mind, that's the kind of film it is. It's just a shit, churned out blockbuster made by a studio. It isn't. This is, this is Guy Ritchie all over. You know, you watch this and you know instantly from the second it's on, this is Guy Ritchie. And if you like Guy Ritchie's uh, shtick, um, you'll probably get something out of this. Uh, but at the same time, it is quite a a, a well-told story. Uh, I don't know. To, I mean, like I said, King Arthur himself is an actual knobhead, but he's, it's in, it's, I'd rather he was a knobhead and interesting than just bland and boring like Tarzan was. Do you know? Where there's no yeah. real personality to him. So at least there's, there's, there's character there. Jude Law, again, they just work really well opposite each other. They both bring something interesting to the story. The other criticism I've seen, and as you probably may have gathered from as a, how I've described the film so far, is that it's got an all-male cast. People hate the fact that it's just basically men, brooding men. Um, uh, it, there are only really two female characters in this. There's, uh, I, I don't know how to pronounce the name, so I'm going to get it wrong, but Astrid Berger's Frisbee, I think that's the name, who plays the mage character who controls all the animals with a mind and stuff like that in this. But uh, she's kind of half played up as potentially a love interest, but not really. Who's, who's got time for, for birds when there's swords to grasp and dudes to fight? Yeah, that <laughs> I guess that's one way of looking at it. She is basically involved as a plot device, really. She just moves things along. She brings King Arthur and his mates together with this like this rebel crew. Um and the other female character in it is Annabelle Wallace, uh, who people I guess know from Peaky Blinders. She plays Maggie and um that's Jude Law's wife. I think Jude Law's wife, yeah. Uh but they, she doesn't really have anything to do either. She's just there to move plot along. Uh, it, it, yeah, so I get the criticism, but maybe it it could have been a bit more diverse. I, I read that originally the, the script did have um, Guinevere in it, and uh, they decided to omit that basically because they had so much stuff they were already cramming into this. And the first cut of the film was about three and a half hours. Uh, which was drastically reduced. Uh, but it doesn't feel like that. I mean, it's zippy. It's never boring. Um, it's not amazing. Again, like I said about Mindhorn, you know, it's a bit better than decent. It's not going to... Anyone who, who perhaps saw the trailer and thought, I'm going to fucking hate this film, will probably still hate it because it's exactly as it looks. But... Anyone who thought, yeah, you know, I could see that King Arthur as a, a snatch, then, yeah, I don't know. I I find it pleasantly decent. It, it might be a a rental. I'll watch it when it comes. Up yeah, it's, it's, for me, it's a. Hmm. <laughs> it just seems having an unlimited card. It seems a bit daft saying, "Oh, I wouldn't go and see that at the cinema because quite literally, I can. It doesn't cost me any money to." But. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you can't yeah. However many hours over your day. Two two hours. It's just over it, two hours. It does strike me as a film that I would quite happily watch when it comes onto television, or Netflix, or whatever. But I'm not going to go out of my way to watch it. There's some. Yeah. There are some good visuals in it. There's a lot of. Uh, I mean, it's made for 3D. You see that. I saw it in 2D, and it was a bit irritating with the amount yeah. of shit that just flew at the screen. Like they'd, you know, Guy Ritchie doing his, you know, 
sped up and then slow-mo bits. And then in the slow-mo bit, some of it would just whoosh, like swish across the screen and stuff like that. And I just got yeah. a bit tired from shit like that. Um, but in terms of it being a cinematic experience, I don't think you'll get anything more or less out of it if you watch it on Netflix or on in the cinema as the Cannes Film Festival debate rages on. Um, Have you heard about this? Yes. Yeah. The okay. President well, of Cannes says that Netflix original shouldn't be eligible for Cannes yeah. because films should be in a cinema. Yeah. Which begs the question, why bother releasing it as a Blu-ray or DVD then? Surely, if it's just meant to be seen in the cinema, then there's no point in watching stuff at home. Right? Isn't that like the counter-argument? If you don't want your film to be seen anywhere but in the cinema, well, why, why would you release it? And that's just purely to make money. Whereas the other argument is, you know, Netflix are not... I mean, they are making feature films. There's no difference, really. You know, they just have different algorithms they work to. Anyway, this is going entirely off point. And we were we were relatively tight up until this point. We were on time. We were not meandering. So, and I really want to shut up and listen to what uh, Brian has to say about Colossal because um, it sounds like a very different movie to the one that was sold. Okay. Well, yes, yeah, so, so that was King Arthur, Legends of the Sword. Now we have Brian's review of Colossal. I, I, I bloody loved it. <laughs> um, I saw it twice. I I watched the trailer when it came out, and I saw Anne Hathaway kaiju film drunk. Anne Hathaway plays a kaiju, right? Don't you know any more than that? Because I like Anne Hathaway. It sounds weird. I'll give it a go. And I watched the film, then I watched the trailer again. And everything that's in the trailer is in the film, but it completely isn't. Have you seen uh, like recut trailers for The Shining mm-hmm. that make it like a romantic comedy? Yeah, and the they Mary do Poppins Mrs. Doubtfire, don't they, as a horror? As a horror, yeah. and Mary Poppins as a horror film. That's what they've done with the trailer for Colossal. <laughs> they've made it look like a comedy, and all the promotion, the the Instagram feeds, it's. It's all designed to make it look like it. It's a wacky, sort of fun comedy. It's not. And I don't understand how people can see it and go, lols. Uh, there's a one of the, uh, sorry, a lot of the poster quotes are hilarious. <laughs> but no. Um, it starts off, because I was trying to work out what sort of film I'm getting as it goes through. Mm-hmm. And I won't tell you how it ends because it's one of these films that takes a big shift halfway through. But it starts pretty familiarly. Anne Hathaway's a party girl. Her boyfriend, Dan Stevens from Downton Abbey, says, I've had it with you being drunk. Get out of my house. So she goes to live at her parents' summer house up in a village or a small town somewhere. You think, right. This is a sort of film where someone goes back home, discovers who they used to be, discovers who they are now, finds a way to reconcile their problems, got it sorted. And it looks at alcoholism, because she's plainly an alcoholic, as lots of zoom-ins on bottles when she walks into a bar. Then it brings in the kaiju element. I say, okay, so when you're drunk, it brings out the monster in you. Right, we're using it as a metaphor. No. Oh, yes, it is, but it's more than that. And I do wish I hadn't... I, I wish I'd seen it not knowing and have to play the kaiju. Because it, it builds into that bit at the start where sh- she works it out, and if the audience were working out with her, I think that would be more fun than, yes, 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 get to it. I want to see how this goes. Hmm. Anne Hathaway is really good. She plays like three takes on her character. She plays the, oh, I'm a drunk party girl. She plays the, I'm getting better. And then she plays the the finale version. And watching that progression happen, it's all natural. There's turning point to go, this is believable for what the character does, what the situation is, how we get to it. 
The story works and is structured really well. There are five actors in it. Uh, Jason Sudeikis, who's the co-star, he also plays like two, three versions of himself. Starts off one way. as You think it's going to be, oh, she's going to have to choose between her uptight city boyfriend or her more casual, relaxed hometown boyfriend. In a way, yes. In another way, really no. It starts with playing him as a romantic um, lead. And he's quite good at that. He's better at how he ends up. It's frustrating to talk about this film without talking about it. Because you really should see what it turns into. Mm. Jason Sudeikis is really good. Anne Hassel is really good. Dan Stevens doesn't get much to do beyond the I, I'm a, a stuttering poppy English boyfriend and the, 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 the rest of it. Like it's, those two and their dynamic, Hathaway and Sudeikis, they not just carry, they drive the film right the way through. Uh, we talked about Batman versus Superman as being a thing that's got lots of smashing and fighting. And I've seen kaiju fans say, Colossal's not a good film because the kaijus are hardly in it and they don't do any fighting. Right. It's not Pacific Rim, how dare it? No. Um, this is a film that ends with a conflict which you are completely ready for. I was so invested in watching it. Did I say at the start I saw it twice? No. Nope. I saw it on a Saturday mm-hmm. and I went to see it again on a Sunday. I enjoyed it more on Saturday because I didn't know it was coming. I was invested in seeing how is this going to turn out. When I saw it on the Sunday, I went, oh, I can see it that they're not just building stuff when they're ready for it. There are seeds planted right way through the film. And how they, they shoot things, how they tell the story, works really well. But when you get to finale, I am so ready for it. It's scored by Bear McCreary, who does uh, Battlestar Galactica and Black Sails. And did you do Black Hawk Down? Uh, I'm not sure. Well, I think we mentioned, did you mention yeah. him the other week? And we, well, you definitely mentioned Black Sails the other week. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, the theme that he uses for the, the finale about establishing tension and, and building drama, I was pretty much on the edge of my seat. <laughs> um, I love it. I think I might get, well, I don't buy a lot of DVDs slash Blu-rays. But I want to buy it to find out everything else that goes around it. Um, why they do this? What direction did the film start off in? I want to find out all that stuff. I also want to look up the guy who wrote and directed it is a man called... Nacho Vigalondo. Nacho Vigalondo. Yeah. Uh, his Wikipedia page is frustratingly written in the future tense. He's going to make this film, which came out in 2011. <laughs> um, but he's like he wrote it, and he's got some weird ideas. Mm. But he did time film. crimes. Is that any good? Yeah, very good. Yeah, very good. interesting. I'll put that on the list. There's a film called Exa, called Exaterrestre, which is about an alien invasion on the grounds that, like War of the Worlds, following one guy in invasion. Mm. That's not how it works. If aliens invaded, odds are it wouldn't be in your neighbourhood. <laughs> you'd find out because someone who you know spoke to someone who was there so I'll do that film and he's I, been involved in sort of ABCs of death and uh, VHS viral and stuff like mm-hmm. that yeah I think he's quite an interesting director yeah um, I really want to see some more of his stuff because the, the story and how it's told works really well but I need to just ask because I know you're trying to avoid giving away any spoilers and stuff, but you mentioned it has like a shift in tone midway yep. through. It, does it change like genres? I mean, is it a change as dramatic as From Dust Till Dawn or Full Metal Jacket or that kind of thing? Mm, no. It's, well, I've not seen Full Metal Jacket. I know Dust Till Dawn and I know okay. like Seven Cyphers and the ones. It, it's not a big shift. It's, it's, it's a lot of, story tropes and types put together. Right. So it starts off, you think it's going to be uh, a romance film, and then you put a kaiju in to be a bit weird. Mm-hmm. And they say it, it's not 
a romance film and it's not about the kaijus. The less you know about Colossal going into it, the more you'll enjoy when it tells you. Okay. Well, you need to go watch it tomorrow because I want to find out what you thought of it. Yeah. If I could, I would, but it's not on anywhere near me. Yeah, it's had like a tiny, tiny release. It made mm. $3.2 million in America last year, which is hee-haw. Yep. It's, it was released by, I think, an investment group or something. So not big studios or even medium-sized studios. Yeah, well, it's not. It's still not really a, a particularly big director. You know, he's still, for all intents and purposes, making indie productions. So Yeah, it's an indie film. Yeah. It's such an indie film. <laughs> but with a few moderately big names in. Hmm. And actually, Bear McCreary, Dan Stevens is on his way. He's like B-list, C-list. Jason Sudeikis be list your list. Yeah, no, I will. I will catch it at some point. It's just probably going to be a Netflix slash DVD thing. Okay, so yes, that was colossal. Nearly finished the podcast. Now we've got left to do is recommend some things for you to watch. I'm going with Netflix and uh, the uh, slasher horror film. Uh, your next was added to Netflix on the 19th of May. Great film. Uh, yeah, very good film. Um, Brian? Season three of Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt comes to Netflix. It makes you think, I probably should watch season one and two at some point. Mm. I've been told it's really good. It's quite good to dip in and out of Kimmy Schmidt. The new series, I've only watched one of them, but uh, it was quite funny. It's See, the same had, as it, all of them. I've had sitcoms ruined for me by Parks and Rec. <laughs> if they're not as good as Parks and Rec, why am I not watching after the Parks and Rec? Uh, Owen, what are you recommending? Um, well, this will do. This will do. On ITV4 on Thursday at 10.30pm is From Dusk Till Dawn. Oh, well, As we were talking about. Like, I had only ever watched the first 40 minutes of that. So when someone included list of vampire films, I went, <laughs> no, not a vampire film. <laughs> it's about these guys who kidnap folk and go to Bar Mexico. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's a vampire film, mate. It's totally, totally, totally is a vampire film. Okay. Uh, so, yes, that's all for this week's Fail Critics Podcast. Thank you all for listening. Owen, what are we doing next week? Is it Pirates? Salazar's Revenge must be out soon. It is. It is, yeah. And actually, we've got Maya. Maya Brooker, that is, who's coming on. So, um, as I'm going to keep calling her, every time, uh, Andrew Brooker's wife. That's what I'm going to say. Okay, that's that's next week. <laughs> The Failed Critics Podcast is presented by Steve Norman and Owen Hughes, created by James Diamond, with original music provided by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com, remixed by James Yule of JamesYule.com. You can find us at FailedCritics.com, on Twitter at FailedCritics, and Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash FailedCritics. Thanks for listening. Are we doing a stinger? Yeah. Grand. See us. Uh, recording. Recording stop.